Thank you, Jordan, for reading our scripture today, and thank you for being here. Very grateful for the opportunity to be together today. We've got a good number here, and we're grateful for that, and we hope and pray that we will continue to have more and more folks come our way from week to week. We appreciate so much the great opportunity that we have to be together, to study, and to worship God together. I do want to express appreciation to Jared for preaching last week. I know Jared always does a great job. I appreciate his lesson last week and very grateful for the opportunity to work with him on a daily basis. I would invite you to think with me today about what I believe to be somewhat of an unusual title for a lesson. And that is the theme of our lesson today, Jesus was a radical. Now many of us have known people in days gone by that because of what they stood for, things that they have said and done would have put them in the category of being a radical. When you look at the life of Jesus and you begin to explore His message, His methodology, and His mission, the only thing that you can come away with is that He was a radical. Because when Jesus burst on the scene, He was a threat to the establishment, wasn't He? And there were a lot of folks that didn't like what they heard. They didn't like what they saw. They didn't like the good that He was accomplishing day in and day out. And so they were against Him. They resisted Him. So I want you to think with me for a moment or two about this theme. Jesus was a radical. I want to begin by talking about the fact that Jesus had a radical message. Now you might ask the question, why was it so radical? Well, number one, the message of Jesus was demanding. It was a difficult message, wasn't it, in many respects? I mean, you think about the message that Jesus was sharing with people in His day. It was a powerful message. In Matthew chapter 7, the passage that was read a moment ago, after Jesus concluded teaching and preaching on the mountain, delivering what has been called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew said the people were astonished at His teaching because He taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. And you remember over and over again it was said, by Jesus. You have heard that it has been said by them of old time, but I say to you, inserting His divine authority. When I look at the life of Jesus and I think about the message that He shared was a different message. It was a demanding message. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 16? When Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. But he prefaced that by saying that we must deny ourselves. So many times in life we are self-centered. 
self-serving. And yet Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and then take up his cross and follow me. In Luke 14, verse 26, Jesus would say, If any man hate not, love less, father, mother, wife or children, brothers and sisters, he cannot be my disciple. The Lord there teaching, we must love him supremely. No wonder it was said of Jesus, as recorded by John in chapter 7, verse 46, no man ever spoke like this man. I said a minute ago that the message of Jesus, it was a radical message because it was a different message. It was a demanding message. And that is true. In John chapter 6, when Jesus affirmed Himself to be the bread of life, that living bread that came down from heaven, you remember it was said of those people who were present on that occasion, many of those people went back and walked no more with Him. And they said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Who can understand it? And John said many of his disciples went back, walked no more with him. And then Jesus asked this question to the twelve. Will you also go away? The Lord didn't compromise his message. He didn't make concessions. It was a different message. It was a demanding message. It was a powerful message. And not just powerful, but provocative. In other words, the message of Jesus was intended to evoke change, wasn't it? For example, in Matthew chapter 5, you remember Jesus again saying, You've heard that it's been said by them of old time, You shall love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But Jesus said, But I say to you, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. You tell me that's not difficult. Tell me that's not a demanding message. Yes, the teaching of Jesus was radical. Unlike anything people had ever heard. It was unparalleled. Not only was it a difficult and demanding message, but I submit to you, it was a distinctive message. When you start sifting through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the conclusion is that the message of Jesus was an exclusive one. You know, there are exclusive clubs in our world today, are there not? Are there not organizations that not just anyone can say, I want to be a member of, and they're granted membership. You don't just drive to Augusta, Georgia, and pull in the gates at Augusta National and tell them, I want to be a member here. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much clout you have. You just don't do that. Some people are privileged to be a member there. It is an exclusive membership. The teaching of Jesus is exclusive in nature. How so? Listen to him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. The exclusiveness of that message. 
Again, you think about Jesus in John chapter 6. Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. John 6 verse 53. It was a distinctive message. John chapter 8, you remember Jesus? Said, except you believe that I am. Unless you come to conclude that I am the very Son of God, He said, you'll die in your sins. Tell me that's not an exclusive message. We live in a day and time today where pluralism reigns, doesn't it? So you talk about this is a radical message. Luke said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That is exclusive. But not only is it exclusive, but it is an inclusive message, isn't it? Didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Is it not the case that Jesus has His arms open for everyone to come to Him. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus said, Go therefore, make disciples, listen to Him, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus is interested in all people. His message is distinctive, yes. Why? Because it is exclusive, but it is inclusive. Paul would write in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, God would have all men, A-L-L, all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Didn't Jesus say, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Tell me that's not an inclusive message. The Lord's saying, I'm interested in everyone. And let me tell you what. Jesus is not just interested in us, but He has invested in us, has He not? When He went to the cross, that was an investment on your eternal soul. He said, you are worth the suffering of the cross. So look at the life of Jesus. Examine His teaching and look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as you look at those various biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. The conclusion is His message was radical. But then secondly, let's talk about His methodology. Jesus Christ, and we talk about methodology. Jesus had a number of methods that He employed to reach people, didn't He? When you look at the life of Jesus... Would you not agree with me that first and foremost, He had the ability to reach out and touch the untouchable? In Mark chapter 1, you, re you read about a fellow who was a leper. Lepers in the first century were ostracized, were they not? They were commanded to cry out to the public, unclean, unclean. In Mark 1, we read of a leper coming to Jesus on one occasion. The text says, He knelt down before Him, and He said, Lord, if You're willing, You can make me clean. And do you know what Mark said about this account? 
Jesus reached out His hand and touched him. The Lord Jesus touched the untouchable. Are there not people in our world today who because of where they are and maybe because of decisions that they have made in this life, have they not been soiled, as we would say, by a life of sin or stained? And then you add to that the shame that is associated with some sins in our day and time? I mean, there are people in our world today who are dealing with the stain and shame of sin. And yet Jesus has the ability to reach out and to touch the untouchable. Are there not people in the world today that feel like they are untouchable? I mean, they've been too far, they've said too much, they're in too deep. In John chapter 4, we have an account of Jesus reaching out and touching the untouchable, didn't He? The Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. John said the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. They looked down at the Samaritans. They viewed them as half-breeds. And yet here is Jesus talking to this woman from Samaria about living water. He's talking about eternal salvation, isn't he? The impression he made on this woman... He actually identified Himself as the Messiah to her in verse 26 of chapter 4. She went away and said, Come see a man that's told me everything I've ever done. Jesus made a difference in her life. And let me tell you what. When you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus breaks down barriers, doesn't He? He broke down the race barrier. He broke down the gender barrier. In the first century, Samaritans and Gentiles, they were off limits. Women, the plight of women was deplorable. And yet here you find Jesus sitting down talking with a woman who was in many respects untouchable, and yet He touched her. And then what about loving the unlovable? Didn't Jesus love the unlovable? You ever feel unloved in the world today? You ever feel all alone? Have you ever thought because of where you are in life right now, and maybe because of the lifestyle that you have chosen, the Lord wouldn't love you? There are people that believe that. There are folks in our world today, they do not believe that God would ever love them. In their mind, they're just too deep in sin. In Luke chapter 7, there is an interesting account of a Pharisee by the name of Simon. Simon invited Jesus to come and eat with him. And there was a woman who came to Simon's home. And the text says that she began to wipe his feet with her hair from the tears that fell from her face. And Luke said she had an alabaster flask of oil. She poured that oil on the feet of Jesus and began to anoint Him with her hair. 
Simon. Simon began thinking in his mind, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is. That she's a sinner. In the mind of Simon, why in the world would Jesus allow this woman to touch him? Jesus had the ability to touch the untouchable, to love the unlovable. Is that not true today? Does Jesus not reach out and touch the untouchable? Does He not reach out and love the unlovable? Are there not people, it may be that you're here today, and you feel like you have been beaten and browbeaten. It might be the case that you feel the heavy burden of poor choices in your life, and you're hurting. And maybe you feel, as many other people have felt in days gone by, you have felt beyond the scope of divine redemption. Jesus was a radical, radical because of His methodology. He broke down barriers. He was a threat to the establishment, wasn't He? The Jewish hierarchy of His day. And yet, you look at the life of Jesus, you ever wondered how many lives during the three, three and a half year ministry of Jesus, wonder how many lives He affected for good. Lives that were bettered, that were changed, that were altered forever. There are so many accounts of Jesus changing lives. And let me tell you, Jesus is still in the business of changing lives today, is He not? He still has the ability to touch the untouchable, to love the unlovable. There is a third thing I would share with you today. Yes, it's true. The message of Jesus was radical. His methodology was radical. But His mission was also radical. Why do you think the mission of Jesus was perceived to be so radical in His day? Let me suggest to you a couple of thoughts here. Number one, he was a threat to the carnally minded. Now you look around at the world and you look around at the world in the first century. And there are a number of things that Jesus identified about the world that lets us know why his mission was perceived to be so radical. Number one, the world has her prince, doesn't she? The world is in conflict with the Lord and His teaching. You remember Jesus said that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. So you begin to look at the life of Jesus in light of His message, His methodology, and His mission. He was a threat to the carnally minded. Because the world, as I said, has a prince. In John 12, verse 31, Jesus said, Now is the ruler or prince of this world cast out. Jesus came to earth and went to the cross 
to destroy the works of the devil, didn't he? Would you not say that the world is still in conflict with God's ways and God's will and God's word? The answer is yes. The world has her prince, and listen, the world has her people. In 1 John chapter 3, John tells us that there are only two classes of people in this world. There are the children of God and the children of the devil. You're either in the family of God or you are in the family of the devil. When we talk about the world has her people, in John chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus said to the disciples in the first century, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. And why? Because I testify of it, that its works are evil. Didn't Jesus say, Light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light? Are there not people in the world today diametrically opposed to the will of God and to the way of God and to the Word of God? And the answer is yes. The world has her prince. The world has her people and the world has her philosophy. Let me share with you the philosophy of the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32. Here it is. Paul is making his case for the resurrection. He talked about the resurrected Christ and the basis upon which we will be resurrected from the dead is the resurrected Jesus. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, Paul said, If the dead rise not, here it is, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And the idea is, if this is all we have and there is no afterlife, you better get it while you can. That is the philosophy of this world. And that philosophy has made tremendous headway in the world today. Are there not people in our world today, it's all about what they can get in this life. They're not worried about an afterlife. They're not worried about where they're going to spend eternity. So you look at the life of Jesus. His, miss, his mission was radical. Why? Because it was a threat to carly-minded people. It is still a threat to carly-minded people. Let me give you another idea. It was a threat to the politically-minded. I said a minute ago that Jesus was perceived as a threat to the Jewish hierarchy. Do you remember, for example, during the ministry of Christ? During His ministry, He identified Himself as a king with a kingdom, didn't He? Didn't Jesus say before Pontius Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world? The Lord Jesus came to be a king, to establish a kingdom. And so in John chapter 18, the Jews who wanted Jesus put to death said to Pontius Pilate, and Pilate, by the way, said at least three times, I find no fault in this man. And yet they said, if you let this man go, you are not a friend to Caesar. You think the Jews really cared for the Roman Caesars? 
Do you think that they respect? Look, they used the Roman system to have Jesus put to death. And so Jesus was a threat to the politically minded of His day. In John 11, after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the religious leaders, they concluded, this man does many signs. And they said, if we let him alone, what will happen? The Romans will come away and take away our place and our nation. What were they concerned about? They were concerned about their system, weren't they? Jesus was not only perceived as a threat to the carly-minded, the politically-minded, but to the politically correct of His day. Again, you look at, look at the people of Jesus' day, and He is identifying, identifying Himself as the very Son of God. His message was exclusive in nature, as I said a minute ago. And so you're looking at the life of Jesus and you think about His teaching, His preaching. And there were politically correct people in that day. John chapter 9, you remember Jesus gave sight to a man that was born blind. And so the Jewish, the Jewish leaders, they wanted to interrogate this man and his parents. But they had already said, if anyone confesses that Jesus is the Christ, what will happen? He'll be put out of the synagogue. So we've got to be politically correct. In the world in which we live today, political correctness is the anthem of this day and time. It's all about saying what is politically correct there are people in our world today, they want you to be tolerant to their ways and their system. Interestingly, the very people that want tolerance from us are intolerant of what we stand for, are they not? Isn't that true? And so when you think about the message and the mission of Jesus, listen to Jesus. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. You mean to tell me to the Jews of His day? You mean to tell me that you're saying that we are lost and dying in sin unless we accept you? That this is the only system? That's exactly right. When we start teaching and preaching today that Jesus is the sole source of salvation, there is salvation in none other, Acts 4.12. When we tell people that salvation is in Christ, and in the church of Christ, that is a narrow, exclusive mentality, isn't it? Well, who fostered that mentality? Didn't Jesus say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life? No man comes unto the Father but by me. And didn't Paul say, there is one body and one spirit, and what is the body? He's the head of the body of the church. You mean to tell me there's just one church, there's just one Savior? That's exactly right. Is the message we preach and teach today politically correct? No. Was the message of Jesus politically correct? No. Was His methodology politically correct? No. Was His mission 
politically correct? Again, the answer is no. So yes, Jesus was radical. But He was radical and He was right, wasn't He? Everything He said was right. And if we want to follow Him, this is the hard part. If we want to follow Him, we will do it His way, not our way. That is radical. Listen to Jesus. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. For many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, in your name cast out demons, and in your name done many mighty works? And Jesus said, Then will I profess unto you, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. We'll do it His way or we'll pay a terrible price. That's the bottom line. There is no way but the Lord's way. There is no word but the Lord's word. There is no will but the Lord's will. And so my question today as you examine the life of Jesus and as you think about all the good things that He did, you know, Luke said He went about doing good, didn't He? The same, Lord, the same Lord that did good in the first century continues to do good in the lives of people because He is, he is the one who has the ability to bring about change for the better. If you're here today, let's just say you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. You believe Jesus is the Son of God, but you've never acted upon your faith. You've never responded with a penitent heart, as Jesus talked about in Luke 13, 3. You've never confessed with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that He is the divine Son of God, like the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37. You've never been baptized to be saved as Jesus taught in Mark 16, 16. You've never been added to the church that we read about in Acts chapter 2. The church that the Lord adds to daily. You're not a part of the one body and you've got to be in the body to be saved, Ephesians 5, 23. If you're here today and you're not where you need to be spiritually, today is the day. As Paul said, today's the day of salvation. If you're here this morning and you're not faithful to His cause, and maybe you've been struggling with sin in your life, to understand that the Lord has the ability, the power to forgive, doesn't He? You know, John said to those who are Christians, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To know that there's a God in heaven who will forgive every sin. Hold it against you no longer. That's the God we serve. So today we invite you to come as we stand and sing.